hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator. Welcome back to the episode of BC Law's Just Law podcast. Uh, today we're going to be talking to Sean Hickey, who's the director of the legal department for DraftKings, which is a company you've probably heard a lot about, particularly in Massachusetts these days. Uh, Sean, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good. Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, so before we get started talking about everything that's going on lately with, with DraftKings and, and sports betting in the state, why don't you tell us a little about yourself? Uh, well, I'm uh, originally from the Midwest, came out here for school and kind of never left. Uh, double legal, uh, spent a lot of time on Newton. Yeah. actually met my wife uh, over at Keys when I was a freshman, so uh, <laughs> she's a double legal as well. But uh, 09 grad from undergrad and then came back for law school uh, 2014. Okay, very cool. Um, so what was your career like after leaving BC Law between now and then? You know, you're obviously at, at, at DraftKings now, but what did it look like when you when you graduated from here? Yeah, sure. So I uh, took some time off between undergrad and law school, uh-huh. which I tend to recommend. Uh-huh. Um, and I was a, a paralegal in those years at some litigation firms, one in New York called Paul Weiss. Uh, and then I switched to a plaintiff's firm in Cambridge called Hoggins Berman um, just to see the other side of the coin. Uh, and that kind of qualified me going into law school, or at least it gave me some previous experience in the litigation background. Um, and when I became a student, then I kind of used that that experience to do some clerkships, um, both in the summer and part-time during the school year. Did a, a small firm in Newton, uh, basically just a solo practitioner to uh, get some more experience there. Kind of parlayed that into uh, a slightly larger firm working um, basically defending insurance companies in Charlestown called Campbell Campbell uh, and, um, you know, busted my butt, tried to make a good impression, and uh, they made me an offer uh, during my 3L year. So that kind of qual. Then I stayed on there, did that for a few years, and, uh, you know, learned a lot. They, they're kind of based on they had a different model back at the time where a lot of younger associates were getting a lot of experience. So, uh, you know, I took my first deposition a, a week after I basically was sworn in. Um, and during my two-year tenure there, I probably took 50 depots, appeared in court, you know, six or seven times. I, the first time I appeared in federal court was by myself because the partner had a conflict at the last oh, second. So <laughs> you get a lot of... A, a lot trial of by fire there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But um, while it was mentally a huge drain and very stressful and they did have a lot of churn back in the day. I think they've kind of switched things around a little bit since then. Um, I was able to learn a lot in a short period of time uh, and that was enough to convince some other employers like DraftKings that uh, they're worth giving me a shot. Nice. Uh, so turn into that, tell us a little about your, your role at DraftKings. Sure. So I'm the director of the commercial transactions department uh, and, and the legal team. Uh, we're a team of about 10 now. Uh, We've got lawyers all the way from LA to Greece. um, And basically any contract that comes into DraftKings uh, comes across my desk, whether it's, um, you know, our huge uh, deals with ESPN or Penn National Gaming, um, or it could be, you know, our sign that's on the green monster uh, to the guy that literally like brings in coffee on Fridays, right? Um, So, one of the things that's fun about our team is we get to see a whole wide variety of offerings. Uh, a lot of attorneys that we hire say that they're you know bored doing the same thing, and at DraftKings they get to really dip their toes in a whole bunch of different stuff, um, including areas that are still being developed, like Web three, for example. I mean, we had to learn a lot over the past three years, um, but you know now every single attorney on the team can do 
a an NFT or a crypto deal, and it's a it's a big strength for attorneys in general. Awesome. So I want to ask about that. You know, these media and in, in, in league partnerships. So when you're when you're working on these agreements, uh, what is that type of legal work like? Uh, that you talk about commercial transactions. What like can you talk a little bit about that work and what's it like as a pr- practitioner with the leagues? Yeah, uh, yeah. When you're when you're working on those deals. Yeah. So um, you know, when I was studying in this library ten years ago, if you told me that uh, one day I'd be telling the NFL why their indemnity paragraph was insufficient, I probably would tell you you were crazy, right? And that was certainly something that I had to learn as a young in-house attorney was like, hey, you know, I, I love I love the Chicago Cubs, like I said, I'm from the Midwest. Um, we're going to give them a, a good chunk of money to build a sportsbook there, but I also have to tell this team that I love that, you know, this – this this agreement isn't fair as is. And like respectfully, right, you're not going to go out like throwing punches. But if you can use logic and give examples as to, you know, why I need an indemnity or why this limitation liability cap doesn't make sense, um, you know, especially on the phone because people like to hide behind their keyboard sometimes. But when you get people on the phone and you really poke holes in some of the logic, um, you know, 99 times out of 100 will be able to come to terms that work for the company. But it is it is a different beast than, say, you know, working with uh, someone, an independent contractor who just hired a local attorney because you do have, um, you have a lot of these teams that they recognize they have very rare assets. And so sometimes you're on a lower tier from a negotiation standpoint. Um, but if you can stick to your logic and give those examples, um, you know, I have found that for the vast, vast majority of teams, uh, they are reasonable, nice humans at the core. Um, I'm not going to name any team specifically, but I have found, and it's been funny, uh, that the teams that you would think have a bigger ego, some of the more popular baseball or football teams, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes that carries over to the legal team. Okay. And you get you get maybe like a less friendly group than you might expect. Like, you know, for the, like the Cubs were a pleasure to work with, someone like the Minnesota Twins, very nice people. Mm-hmm. Um there's some other baseball teams that maybe are a little bit higher in the standings that yeah. might might uh, give you a little more sure. hard hard time. <laughs> yeah, no, that's understandable. Um, so DraftKings has grown substantially in, in in recent years. You know, the the from a marketing standpoint, we we're just as we we're getting set up for this podcast, people were talking about, oh yeah, you know, I see the ads on Facebook, the ads everywhere. You know, there's a substantial amount of growth. Can you just tell us what that's been like, and you know, from a I guess a legal perspective, I, I imagine you've been pretty busy. Can you talk tell us about that? Yeah. So. Um, well, just to start, it's been great to actually finally bring it to Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, we've been Massachusetts was one of the first states to uh, get everything um, regulated on the DFS side, mm-hmm. daily fantasy sports, um, and so you know we were hoping to to have a similar result here. It took a little longer than we wanted, but um, to finally be able to see the billboards and hear the radio ads and see Kevin Hart on TV. I mean, this is something that we've been doing in the Boston office since 2018. Uh, but before we never really saw it until, mm-hmm. you know, unless I was going on vacation to New Jersey or right. Colorado or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but from, from a legal angle, uh, you know, the marketing team has always been, uh, has always been a team that, you know, we work very closely with. Mm-hmm. We, it's, it's no secret that we spend a lot of marketing dollars. Right. Um, one of the ways that the legal team interfaces with marketing, it's not only the contracts, whether it's, you know, that green monster example before I gave or insertion orders, but it's also, um, Disclaimers, and we have multiple types of disclaimers, which also you will see mm-hmm. on those billboards and on those TV cool. ads. Yeah. And it can it can be something 
you know, FTC driven where you're wanting to make sure you're properly stating what the offer is, like how you qualify for the, the bonus. Um, or it could be stuff that's driven by gaming regulation, you know, like putting the 1-800-GAMBLER number on there, giving resources to uh, people who, you know, might need help when it comes to uh, a gambling problem, right? So um, there is a, I won't call it a battle because it's a it's a partnership and it's it's teamwork, but we have to work with the marketing team really closely to make sure we have that balance of a compelling ad that still qualifies with mm. the law, right? Yeah. So going off of that, so as you said, sports betting just went live in mass. You know, it was a it seems like a long journey uh, from a regulatory standpoint. You know, the the legislature to finally get to that milestone. What what was that like, and what was involved in that in that process in Massachusetts, which took some time? Yeah. So every every state's different. Um, you know, New Jersey obviously was first out of the gate. They actually, I believe, had passed a law before the Supreme Court overturned PASPA, which had set this all up. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know, luckily we have a, a government affairs team at DraftKings that works very, very hard on this mm-hmm. and uh, works with our lobbyists and is actually, you know, making speeches at, at the state legislature level to, um, you know, help help get those laws passed. Um, as far as Massachusetts goes, you know, I think um, every state wants to take their own approach and Massachusetts certainly was not an exception there. You know, they've um, proposed some ideas that other states haven't proposed and, and we were all for... Uh, getting a product out there that is above board, that's taxed, that, um, you know, is not, you know, that doesn't, we basically, if you, our position is that if you leave it, if you leave it unregulated, we know the black market exists. And if you leave it unregulated, the states are basically just going to be missing out on tax revenue. Um, and we're not going to be able to put a product out there that is fair to the consumers. You know, with a lot of these black black market products, you can't actually withdraw your money if it's over a certain amount, and they, you know, they'll just disappear on you, right? So, um, I guess you know, Massachusetts definitely took their time. They didn't want to jump in. They want to make sure they made a, a calculated decision, and uh, they did that. And we finally got the votes, and um, seeing it launch has just been been great this spring. So you mentioned a government affairs team and, and lobbying, making speeches to the legislature. What do you think was the most persuasive argument to finally get this, uh, you know, overcome that last hurdle? Well, it's really kind of what I, I just spoke to. I mean, we, I mean, we can show, there's evidence to show that sites like Bovada or all the bet age, you get things, another one is like, they, they're, taking in millions and millions of dollars and um, it's not fair to the consumers because like I said, their payout issues, uh, it's it's also, they also don't comply with those responsible gaming requirements that mm-hmm. I spoke to. And it's also not fair to uh, the citizens of Massachusetts because that tax money is, mm-hmm. is could be going to our schools or, or wherever um, and that money is just instead going offshore. So um, that, you know, we also want to we want to make sure that that people are protected and get the resources they need and and allowing these offshore books to run rampant is really just kind of turning a blind eye to what's really going on mm-hmm. um and like you know we're all for the regulations and and having a, a proper tax rate and making sure it's a fair product but uh i think to turn a blind eye is the wrong decision sure uh was there anything in particular different about this process in massachusetts than in other states uh you know that's a fair question i to be honest, the, the business keeps me really busy doing uh, more of the contractual work. Um, you know, I've got several guys and girls on my government affairs team that could probably talk to you for hours about it. Um, I know that um, I know the Mass Gaming Commission proposed some regulations that 
would have had a real change on our business. I think there would have been a complete prohibition on national advertisement, which um, I think would have been a difficult hurdle for the gaming operators to climb. I mean, I, th I think there's a balance, right? You want to make sure you're protecting your citizens, but you also want to give these businesses a fair chance to uh, compete and offer compelling products. So um, luckily, we were able to strike a balance that I think is, is fair and, and works. And um, like I said, looking forward to being here for decades and decades to come. Sure. So I want to talk a little about the, the law itself. Uh, is there, I guess, a, a substantive body of, of gaming law, of gambling law, or maybe perhaps one that's developing now that this has become more regulated and, 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 and legalized in more and more states like Massachusetts? Or are you instead dealing in, you know, uh, contract law and other traditional areas of law? So there's certainly gaming law. Um, you know, historically, and going back to the DFS days, you know, every state has a. And could you just explain DFS for people? Sure, daily fan yeah, 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 no, 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 that's 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 my problem. Uh, so, daily fantasy sports is what we launched with in 2012. It's where you build a roster of players using a salary. So we have this salary cap of fifty thousand dollars, and each player uh, has a different salary based on basically how good they are or how good they might be in that given week. So let's take golf. Mm -hmm. This past example, like um, right now. Whatever, whatever. I forget what tournament's being played right now, but Justin Thomas is the top-ranked golfer, and he's going to take like, you know, a fourth of your salary, which means you have to find value mm -hmm. with other players to fill out a, a roster that's going to uh, compete. Um, but anyway, going back to the law. So when you know, back when we launched with with daily fantasy sports, every state has a skill versus chance law in the books, and there's different um, components of of skill that are required across each state. Some some states are called any chance states, where if there's any chance involved whatsoever, it's a game of chance, and uh, you know that limits what products we can offer. Other states, uh, the the element of chance has to be more material or determinative. Um, but evolving from that, you know, daily fantasy sports laws have been passed since we began in those early days, um, and. What the Supreme Court did for us in 2018 was just open the door to let states decide on a state-by-state -state basis if they want to allow games of chance, which is sports betting in their state. And I think I think we're in the 20s now as to states that have done that. Um, and yeah, there's absolutely, you know, gaming law is a, a booming sector in the legal market. Um, you know, I know there's one individual at the NFL I'd, I've been working with who he actually just left to start his own gaming law practice in a, in a firm. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't suspect that's going to slow down. That being said, there's still a lot of contract law and transactional law and litigation strategy and other like core components of your legal foundation that you need to succeed. Mm -hmm. um, but it has been interesting to see that evolve. Sure. So uh, courts, just in terms of doctrine, have traditionally been reluctant to involve themselves in disputes that arise out of gambling. And you talk about the black market and the, the history of, of gambling in this country. It's been, you know, I think somewhat stigmatized. But now as it becomes more regulated and legalized, do you see that changing? Like are, are courts changing their approach to, you know, getting into disputes that arise out of gaming? It sounds like what you're doing is more on the, uh, you know, from a contractual standpoint, uh, you know, integration deals and sponsorships and things like that. But when you're working on, you know, indemnification and thinking about when things go wrong, are courts starting to uh, embrace disputes that can come from gaming more so than in the past? You know, I'm not. Are you talking about? I mean, look, if we if we break a gaming law in Massachusetts, for example, who's going to hold us responsible is the Massachusetts Gaming Commission. It's not generally going to be, uh, you know, the court down in the seaport. Right. Um, and because we're in a licensed game, 
Um, it's a privilege, not a right. So, you know, we take it very, very seriously. We do, you know, we we triple check everything we do before we do it because if we if we break any of those regulations, you know, that privilege gets taken away. And uh, you know, if you open your phone, you you won't be able to place a bet on DraftKings. And it's part of my job is to make sure that never happens. Mm-hmm. As far as like civil, you know, civil suits, we you know, just like any big business, there are you know lawsuits from time to time. Uh, you know, they. I, I can't say that they're like specifically focused on gaming, um, but you know none of them really have have been of any substantial merit or anything, and and they're not a threat to our business. But um, you know I, I I think what you're probably focusing on is going to be more of you know the gaming regulators keeping an eye on the operators and making sure they're following what we agreed to when we launched here. Sure. Um, when it comes to compliance, can you talk a little about that? Is that a significant amount of the legal work? Oh, yeah. Things? Like, oh, I yeah. imagine so, there's a lot there. Yeah, yeah. So compliance, uh, the legal department's about 40, I think, now. And I think our compliance team must be – they feel like they're 80 or 90 every time I turn around. They're just mm. massive. Um, some of them are uh, former lawyers. Uh, others are not. Um, they all work very hard because, like I said, it's a privilege, not a right. And 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 we work very closely with the compliance team where – we're, we want to be allies and, and help them um, make sure we're enforcing the rules. But it's it's tough. It's it's not only compliance with the gaming regs, but there's personal inform, you know personal information. Data is king in 2023, and right. um, we get a lot of business members who want to move quickly. That's the nature of this business. Is it's you know we're in a horse race. We're trying to beat uh, the Fanduels and the Betm Gyms and all that stuff. And um, I can tell you this: it's difficult when. A, com- a competitor's legal team takes a position that you think might be indefensible um, under the law because your business says, you know, well, they're doing it. We want to do it. And you have to right. be like, well, listen, th- that's fine. Mm-hmm. But just because they're doing it doesn't mean they're not going to get sued or they're not going to get in trouble. Sure. Um, so what we try and do is come up with creative solutions if we can, uh, you know, find alternatives or workarounds. We don't want to be the fun police. We don't want to just say no all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is something that we have to take very seriously because if we don't, it could threaten the well-being of the company. Sure. And obviously, you know, every state has different laws and, and, and different regulations and you're, you know, you're here in Boston. How is, I mean, do you have folks who are first in different states? Like how, how do you, how do you delineate the the work when it comes to dealing with different bodies of law, different regulations in different areas? Yeah. So this is where government affairs really comes into yeah. key. They're I think they're eight or nine big, um, and and they have, you know, they're divided. I actually don't know if they do it by by mm-hmm. region or by state, but they'll have, you know, like Kevin's my guy in, yeah. in Kansas, and I go to Chris in Massachusetts, stuff like that. On the compliance side, they kind of have to know it all. Yeah. Um, they don't really specify as much as to my knowledge, mm-hmm. um, but as a whole, as a body, like, you know, we got to cover the whole map because we're responsible for it. Sure. So you talked a little bit before about, uh, you know, some leagues and, and teams maybe playing hardball with you a little bit. What is that like? Because you're, you know, it's sort of like a blend of, you know, both business and the law. You're sitting down to try to negotiate these agreements. Like what, what is that environment like? What are these leagues looking for? Like what tends to be the common points of contention? Where do you really need to know your stuff? Like how does that tend to go down? Well, one of the things that's fun about DraftKings legal is that, uh, you know, our chief legal officer, Stanton Dodge, makes it very clear that we are not just lawyers were businessmen and women mm-hmm. um and you know not only are we there to help our our biz dev team but if we see a mistake being made we need to raise our hand and try and correct it ourselves but also like if we think it's not going to get done like we gotta you gotta raise up the chain because um you know for example i i think i think a good example of this is exclusivity um when when 
some of these team deals were first being done, uh, the model was, okay, you pay a little bit more and you get an exclusive deal. So in Wrigley Field, you, you'll never see a FanDuel ad there because, you know, the deal we brokered is that, uh, you know, DraftKings is the exclusive sportsbook provider of Wrigley Field. Uh, and to be honest, it'd be like a little strange for us to have this brand new shiny sports book, and then you go on Wrigley Field and see FanDuel ads everywhere, right? Um, the model's changed a bit now where we're seeing a lot more teams pushing for, you know, not unfettered competitors, but it might be capped at three or four or something. And generally that, you know, that might bring the price down a little bit. But, um, you know, they they basically, the teams always want to use their paper. They uh, They might get a little upset if you, you know, if you totally redline or eviscerate their dock, they might get upset about it. But like I said, I think if, if you get on the phone and you can explain all your edits, I mean, I always tell my team, mm-hmm. you shouldn't be making it in the, the contract that you can't defend. Um, if you're making an edit you can't defend, then you shouldn't be making it. So we, to be able to do that and get on the phone and not just have an answer of like policy, we get, you know, we, a lot of times we get, you know, asked like, why do you need this? And it's like, oh, it gets, you know, it's company policy or team policy. It's like, well, look, I, having policy can be okay if you can back up an answer as to why that policy exists. Like, hey, I have this policy because, you know, we got burned on this case X years ago and because of that, like, we need this. But if it's just policy because that's what your company wants and it puts my company in a worse position, it's going to be hard for me to get that approved, so you got to give me more than that. Um, But for the most part, look, like I said, once you get people on the phone, everyone wants to get the deal done. You know, it's it's fun to – you know, work your tail off and then see a deal announced the week later and then, mm-hmm. you know, the signs over the green monster or your, you know, the official sports betting partner of Thursday Night Football with Amazon, right? So um, everyone wants to get the deal done. Uh, it's just how you go about it. And the most efficient way to do that, I found, is just hopping on the phone. Sure. So going back to that, you know, you talked about some teams, uh, you know, having a little bit more perhaps uh, bravado and ego wanting to maybe stick to their guns in these agreements and other teams being more flexible. How does that, uh, I, I guess, how would you define that relationship? Is it as you grow as a business, they perhaps maybe take you more seriously? They're more willing to bend to get the agreement to work? Maybe if they're, if that's less so, they're, they're less willing to do that. How does, how does that tend to turn? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll say this. When we first started back in the daily fantasy sports days and, you know, to full, full credit where it's due, like we were facing a lot of adversity and there were a lot of questions about if we were going to continue operating. Um, some of the teams and leagues then would really beat us up and they had the upper hand and they would, you know, try and put in some pretty absurd stuff. And we always pushed back as hard as we could. And for the most part, we were able to get that out. Mm-hmm. Now that we are, you know, we're not a startup anymore and we're public and we're more established. Uh, yeah, there is a little bit more respect that comes with it. Um, that being said, at, at the end of the day, like, you know, every, every company wants the best deal they can get. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times these teams and leagues, like I said, they recognize their, you know, there's only one baseball team in Boston, you know, mm-hmm. right? So they recognize that. We recognize that too. But uh, I don't think it's anything that skilled lawyering can't overcome and, you know, come to resolution on. Sure. So you mentioned, uh, you know, the, tr- <clears throat> excuse me, the, the, you know, trying to be a, a business person and a lawyer at the, at the same time, or at least having a sense for the business while you're, you're doing your role as a, as a lawyer. Do you feel like from the business perspective, DraftKings has a, has a niche to fill, or do you feel like, you know, when you look at the competitive landscape, you're another sports book, how, how do you, how do you see yourself? Um, you know, I would say that there are, one of the interesting parts about sports betting is that, especially mobile or online sports betting, is that you can download five apps, 
and you can shop around pretty easily, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you say, hey, I don't like that line on the Celtics. Let me open DraftKings and see if they got a better line, right? Mm-hmm. And we recognize that. Uh, but I, I would say something that we do that our competitors do not do well is that we have a about as flawless of a product as you can get. You know, everyone hates when you're trying to, you know, maybe you're trying to book a flight on a mobile app and the app crashes and you're like, oh, I got to start all over, right? And that happens in the sports betting world too. There's a lot of data going in and out of these books. Um, you know, Tatum might hit a three-point shot and it might change the line. And if your product and your code isn't set up to handle that well, um, people who might want to place a bet might not be able to. And if they can't do that, they're going to say, all right, I've had enough of this. Like, let me try a competitor, right? So what DraftKings has focused on since day one, going back to the Daily Fantasy Sports days, is having a really, 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 really good product. And that's both on the web and mobile. Um, and that's something, and you can, you know, there's, there's these groups that do the studies that get asked for satisfaction on, on product utility and stuff like that. And we're always right there at the very top mm-hmm. to, and we have found that that's what keeps consumers around. And we offer great promotions and we have a great marketing team to get people there to begin with. But like, you know, having a product that functions the way you want it to is really, really essential in this industry. And, um, I can tell you that's why FanDuel and DraftKings are one number one or number two in every state. Sure. So something you had mentioned before, you know, when you hear any sort of marketing, there's always appended to that the disclaimers and you know trying to refer people to uh, help for gambling problems and so forth. Uh, what is that like to have to constantly have a mind for what you need to be doing in terms of disclaimers and you know your your marketing and making sure that the eyes are dotted and, and the T's are crossed because that's a significant part of of this business. It would seem like just from the outside. Yeah, I, I mean, look, sports sports betting like. Lots of other things in society, you know, there's people where it's just, it, it can be a problematic for them. Just like, you know, someone can enjoy too many glasses of wine or, you know, so we we, we recognize that. We we want to make sure a couple of things. Number one, we're always going to follow all, all the responsible gaming laws and not just like eek over the bar. We want to be well above the bar, right? Um, we launched a responsible gaming program with... Um, uh, that wrestler, the Miz, uh, and, and Tony Hawk, and and we, you know, we we promote we promote a lot about it. You know, our social social media handles push that out a bunch, and I'm I'm glad we do. The other thing is we want to make sure it's clear that DraftKings is an entertainment product. Uh, you should not you should not be counting on DraftKings to pay your rent, right? It's not a side hustle. <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, like like it's and and it is just like for me. That's exactly how I, how I use sports betting. Like, um, you know, perfect example was were the playing games. Like the the first four games of this March Madness tournament, which just started, I you know placed five dollars on Pittsburgh two nights ago, and would never have watched that game before, right? Right. And it went late, and I had a great ending, and I really enjoyed the game, um, and I ended up winning my bet. But like that money is not gonna you know not gonna depend if my kids can go to daycare, right? right. Um, and so we want to make sure. Like, look, there's people who want to go to dinner and go to the movies and they'll spend $150 and have a great night. There's other people who want to stay in with friends and use that $150 to, you know, bet on a bunch of basketball games or football games or whatever. And, like, we think that's great, too. Um, but we want to push that. We're an entertainment product. We, I think we're a, a great entertainment product, but you shouldn't be looking at us to pay your mortgage because that's not what we're here for. Sure. I want to ask about, you know, just your sense from the, the the standpoint of the leagues and of the teams. 
what's in this for them? I mean, obviously these teams have a, a ton of partnerships with a ton of organizations in different industries, but you know, one of the points you mentioned, it makes people maybe tune into games that they wouldn't otherwise watch. Is that a lot of it or sort of how do you, what's your sense from their angle? How they, oh, yeah. how they look at you? No, that's, that's a, a massive, massive component of it. So everyone knows that the leagues and teams are getting these huge live, you know, broadcast deal, TV right. deals, because sports is one of the few reasons people still subscribe to cable. It's the, the only reason I have Comcast, like, yeah. promise me, is, is, is for the live sports. Uh, and we can show, and this, again, goes back to the Daily Fantasy Sports Day, is that even if it's an inconsequential amount of money, it's like five bucks, right? Mm -hmm. That's going to keep viewers engaged in a sport that they might not other might not otherwise care so much about. Like, so I usually bring up the examples of, you know, sometimes Thursday Night Football will have a matchup that's less than super compelling. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a bit of an understatement, but go on. Yeah, sure. Like if, if you have, if you've got 10 bucks on that game, you might watch that game to the end. Or if you have, let's say you, especially when it gets down to player props, right? Like right. let's say you've got, um, you know, Allen Robinson, like over five catches, which mm -hmm. probably wouldn't have hit very much last year. <laughs> uh, but if you have that, you're like you're going to, you're not only going to watch the game, but you're going to watch it like till that last drive right. to see if he hits it. Mm -hmm. um, and, we have that data. The leagues have that data. They're very well aware of that. And we're happy to work in partnership with them because, um, you know, to be quite honest, like when COVID hit, one of the things that was, you know, that that really was one of the, you know, that was really depressing about it was that you weren't able to turn on your live sports and, and kind of see that that display of athleticism. Um, and like we know how 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 many eyes that drives and naturally when there's eyes that drives advertising revenue and all this other great stuff so um you're you're absolutely right that that's something that is well known and something we use as a tool sure what advice do you have for law students people in the profession who are you know a lot of people want to work in sports when they grow up so to speak but you know it's a, obviously a it can be a tough nut to crack a tough industry to get into what advice do you have for people who want to whether it's a draft kings or elsewhere want to want to turn their career towards sports eventually yeah so i think there's kind of two things that are that I always tell, uh, you know, young lawyers and, and, and law students. Um, the first is that, you know, you don't want to be spinning your wheels. There's a there's a few people I knew that as we graduated, they, excuse me, they kind of um, they were kind of like looking for the perfect job, and because of that, like they didn't instead of just, you know, instead of, they were waiting for the perfect job, and so there was kind of a gap in the resume, and they just kind of lost this opportunity to learn, and. You know, what I always try and tell young attorneys is like, look, go out there and start getting experience. Like, there is no way that me working at a bunch of, you know, small firms in Newton and Charlestown, like, qualified me to be a sports attorney, right? But what that did is it gave me the ability to find transferable skills. Um, and that's kind of my second point is like once once you like get positioning and once you're actually working and once you like get the momentum moving behind that the vehicle that is your career or whatever – you will start learning things that you can use to be an attorney and that you can convince someone like a DraftKings or ESPN or whomever mm -hmm. can be a, an asset to their team. So when I applied to DraftKings, I, you know, I had dealt with contracts. I wasn't super much like a, a contracts attorney. And I also wasn't a gaming attorney or sports attorney. But what I could tell them is say, hey, I've done, you know, I'm two years in. I've done 50 depositions. I've appeared in court, you know, with partners by myself with, you know, against these huge corporations. I'm not afraid to get up and defend a point, tell a league team, whomever, why they're wrong, try and convince them that way. And, like, 
I will be the man in the arena. I'll stand up and try and get it done for you. I'm not going to, you know, hide behind my keyboard. Right. And, you know, it took a lot more than that, right? Like, yeah. I, I literally had to take, like, three practice exams. Um, practice exams? Yeah, literally, like yeah. A, like contract exercises. Okay. Uh, for DraftKings. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, shout out to Russ Tangway. He really ran me <laughs> through the uh, ringer there. But, okay. uh, no, it's just basically redlining agreement being like, hey, here's where, here's where you got to, you know, really put pen to paper and show like, okay, well, do you actually know what you're talking about? Like, can you defend this position? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that combined with my experience combined with, you know, the, I was a, I was a customer before I became an employee. I, I love the product. I think yeah. it's great. Uh, so, you know, that kind of was the magic mixture that got me in and it's kind of been sprinting ever since. So Sure. Uh, just a couple questions left. Uh, what would you say has been the most challenging part of, of this work? Uh, so, we get a lot of applicants coming from some of really, really, really prestigious law firms who see it as, oh, I'm going in-house. I can finally relax, put my feet up. Yeah. Uh, I have never worked harder than I have at DraftKings. I have also never been more professionally, like, fulfilled. Like, every every day that I close my computer and sometimes it's earlier than others, I feel like I've used my brain. I feel like I've made a difference. I feel like I have... Uh, you know, helped this company create a new industry. And like, you know, I didn't always have those feelings at some of my former jobs. Um, but the hardest thing is just keeping up with the business. Like we have been sprinting ever since I joined. Um, first, it was trying to be the, the number one daily fantasy sports provider. And we were able to achieve that. And then really when, you know, when the Supreme Court overturned PASPA in 2018, it was like taking the governor off, right? And it was just pedal to the floor and we've been, it's been a rocket ship. Um, and now we are not only fighting against FanDuel, but we're fighting against these established casinos. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you have your wins and your MGMs. And uh, there is a real battle to become, you know, the number one, number two, like the top echelon of sports books. And, uh, you know, I, I've been very, I consider myself very blessed to be a part of that ride, but our business and our founders uh, do not rest on their laurels. And, you know, even if you've got to deal with every major league out there, like we're going to find new opportunities. And like the, you know, the, the Web3 and the crypto and the NFT stuff, like is a great example where, you know, other competitors didn't do it. We decided we we're going to push the envelope and it did give us an advantage, you know, and a couple of years ago and when there were less sports and we had other, other opportunities and things to uh, offer to the business, to the to our customers. Sure. Uh, and lastly, what's been the most rewarding part of this? Uh, so I, I do think the saying, uh, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life is a little cheesy, so I'm not going to go that far, yeah. but I will say that the most rewarding part for me has been able, been made the ability to work at a place that I really believe in the product and the company. And like I said, I was a customer before when I became an employee, I, um, you know, it's something that if I wasn't doing for a profession, I'd be doing in my free time. Um, and so I have found that when you're able to work on something that you are passionate about, those Sunday scaries or, you know, dreading going into the office on Monday kind of evaporates. And don't get me wrong. Like, there's a lot of really tough, challenging stuff we do. And there's a lot of times where I'm like, oh, okay, like, this is really going to be hard. But I, you know, opening a sports book in Wrigley Field is like, you know, one of the coolest things I could have imagined doing, yeah. right? Uh, you know, they're they're my favorite team by far. And to be able to do that in a professional capacity is, um, 
you know, I won't say dream job, right? But it's 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 extremely fulfilling and rewarding, and and it's something that I'm I'm grateful to have the opportunity to do. And and I encourage everyone to try and find. And again, it's not easy, especially in those first jobs, right? Those first jobs, I think you should just be trying not to spin your wheels, getting the momentum. But when you can steer your career towards stuff that you're passionate about, stuff that you like doing, it's way easier to work those two a.m. nights because you believe in the product, you believe in the mission, and you want to see it done. As opposed to, you know, a two a.m. night where you're fighting off a what you might consider a meritless claim from some greedy plaintiff's attorney, right? So um, that's kind of my advice, and that's been my experience. Awesome. Uh, well, this has been BC Law's Just Law podcast. It's been Tom Lincoln talking to Sean Hickey of DraftKings. Sean, thank you for coming in. Hey, pleasure to be here. Until next time, that'll do it. Thanks for tuning in.